Hello there, and welcome back to Tales from a Cult Insider. This is episode 44, uh, with some epilogues thrown in here and there. I am your insider and former unwilling cultist, Jared Garrett. I'm here to tell you stories. Oh, this giant audience, it's good. This is not a giant audience, uh, people who are only listening to this as a podcast. This episode is called episode 44, Grand Finale Recorded with a Live Audience. That's right, this episode is the very last one, and I'm recording it as part of the Canab Writers Conference here in Canab, Utah, with a live audience. Ha, hooray! You want to say something, guys? Hello. I hope you heard that. All right. This is seven miles from Best Friends. That is by design. Uh, It feels poetic. I do have a few things to say to some of those folks. They're kind, mostly. Well, no, they're not. So maybe proximity will help. They are not set in a mean spirit, though. One fun thing is that we are in the Kanab kind of event conference center as well as Kanab city offices. I spent a summer doing um, gunfights, like Old West uh, gunfights and cowboy stunts and stuff, um, just 200 feet from here in the old barn playhouse, maybe 300 feet, I don't know. And I made one of my best friends uh, from that time in my life named Nathan Riddle. And uh, during that time, we both did several roles in the uh, show. And after the show, we would go down to the stage stop. Stage stops exist, but this, do, this part doesn't exist. They used to have a conveyor belt where you could cook burgers over real flame. Uh, you just put them on the, this conveyor belt, it would cook them and roll out and you'd get a burger at the bottom would slide down. So we'd go, that, go get one of those a piece, it'd be about a buck or a buck fifty a piece. And then we'd sit on the wall right outside the building that we're in before it was taken down and rebuilt. It was a middle school. And we talked for hours, late into the night, about all kinds of things. Um, all kinds of things. And I had been out of the cult by that time for one year and about one month. So uh, even less than that, actually, because it was a school year and they started right after school year. So it was I was fresh out of this cult. So it's kind of cool to be back here. So as usual, a quick recap and then we'll dive into this episode. Uh, there'll be a Q&A for those who are here. You're welcome to ask questions. Um, actually, if you have a question as I'm talking, or, or you're welcome to just kind of raise your hand and we can we'll get your question. Um, In the interest of a good recording, I'll probably repeat any questions that are asked here back into the microphone, um, if there are any um, questions. One side note, and this shouldn't make anybody nervous, but it's not slander if it's true. Okay. My wife is a lawyer. She told me that this morning. Okay. Just just try to encourage me to to say uh, the things that are on my mind. I've scripted some of this because it's been on my mind what I should say for some time now, and I want to get it right and not have anything be mean-spirited at all antagonistic at all, but entirely telling good stories. So the quick recap, I was born and raised in a cult. It was called the Process Church of the, of the Final Judgment. It was an offshoot in the 60s from Scientology. Um, it uh, was somewhat infamous in the UK and in USA. It lost a court case in the UK where, where some people accused it of brainwashing adherence. Uh, they lost and had to leave the UK essentially in shame. When I was born in 1974, the cult broke apart into those dedicated to the process, so to speak, and those who made a new culty commune, which was called the Foundation Faith of the New Millennium, which evolved over the years and is the one I grew up in, and it finally morphed into, drumroll, Best Friends Animal Society. Um, I'm here to tell you all about being a kid in this somewhat strange, sometimes secretive, religious commune from back in my youth. Uh, another quick uh, plug is, as always, you can contact me at Jared at jaredgarrett.com with your spelled the typical ways, Jared, J-A-R-E-D, Garrett, G-A-R-R-E-T-T, uh, with your comments and questions. I do uplifting speaking engagements. 
on emotional toughness and toughness and essential self-stewardship. You can reach me at that same email address to discuss any speaking or appearances now. Let's get into the final episode as usual. My longtime listeners, of which there are a few, um, expect rambling. Those of you who are here in the live audience expect rambling. You may even contribute to it if you ask questions, which you're welcome to. How the podcast started. So back in April of 2018, uh, the second week of April 2018, I had my final day at the peak of my instructional design career, which was at Amazon. I'd spent three years there and it had been hard. It had been feeling like I was in crisis mode all the time, trying to get all the stuff done. That's how they do it. They want you to be scrappy and work hard. And I had had a bad and unpleasant experience getting out, but it was a smart thing for me to get out when I did. Um, I was feeling antsy late April, trying to just kind of get my feet back under me. And um, one night I was just feeling like, oh, I should write, but I'm not going to write. So instead, I <laughs> recorded a rambler of an episode of this podcast after remembering this platform called Anchor, which is the platform I've been using for this podcast. Uh, it was a 30 to 35 minute episode. It promised all kinds of things that I hope I delivered on. Uh, rambled like crazy and I made the cover art in a fit of inspiration and the cover art has not changed because it was super perfect. Uh, it's a picture, if, if you haven't seen it, I have cards over in the, in the bookstore of me as a 14 year old pointing a cap gun at the camera. Uh, a lot more swagger at 14 than I have even today. I went back and recorded the next episode the next day uh, and then completely forgot about it. Like I forgot I even did it. So four months later in August, all of a sudden I remembered, hey, I did a podcast once and I logged in and I found that there were 500 listens. Instant fame, um, which wasn't the case, but I figured I'd go for it. And at its height, I was recording uh, a new episode every week or two and uh, listeners kind of came and went. I had a big spike some time ago, long time ago, long time ago. Uh, and that's great. I want to share a couple of fun results that came from the podcast for those who are interested in how what's come from this podcast. So lots of interesting emails, lots of interesting emails because the process is still around. It's still a philosophy and practice that people still follow, which is mind boggling to me. Um, so I've got, I've gotten emails from people both still involved with the process and former members of the process, people who are investigating it, like investigate, investigating it, um, not to join it, but to other things, uh, and other stuff. Um, and I've also gotten some emails from people who've been with best friends and haven't been and, and have left best friends. Um, I've actually gotten some rather concerning emails about ongoing alleged trash practices by folks still there, which is a sad story, but I'm not here for any of that, but I just want to share that stuff. I got a really neat in-depth interview with Religion News Service last year. Um, super, super fun article came out of that, about that. It was about finding faith, finding new faith after a, a religious experience uh, growing up. Uh, you, can see, you can see that on rns.com or religionnewservice.com. Let's see. I talked to a few producers doing documentaries. Uh, one documentary which was produced, which got a lot of traction at, in, in its niche, was called uh, Sympathy for the Devil, the True Story of the Process Church of the Final Judgment. Uh, the, I ordered one finally about a year or two after it came out, and the director, remembering our conversations, or produ I don't know why he did this. I assume it's because he remembered me. He sent me two. Not sure why I would need to, but I really appreciate Neil and his kindness in sending me to. So I gave one to my dad and we'll see what happens there. I reviewed the documentary in epilogue number four. There are several epilogues. <laughs> I thought I was done, then I wasn't. And then I thought I was done again, and then I wasn't. Um, right now, the podcast sits at over 22,000 all-time listens, which is pretty cool. Um, it's about 
a little above average for this kind of niche. Uh, but if I were, keep going, were to keep going, maybe it'd get better. I don't know. Here are some things I've gained or learned in the process of doing this podcast. Okay, just checking my time. Good. We're going to have plenty of time for questions, so think of them, y'all. One is I've understood more about how the cult I was raised and came about. I really didn't know. I actually only started realizing. So I'm in my 40s, late 40s now. Um, I only started learning the origin of the cult I grew up in uh, when I was about 35 or 36. Uh, One of the original founders, a British man uh, named Tim Wiley, published a book called Love, Sex, Fear, Death. Um, And it's about his experience in the process. He got out a little before I was born or a little after I was born. Um, and I heard about this book because me and the kids I grew up with have a secret group on, on Facebook, a private fa- uh, Facebook group in which we chat, and a couple of them talked about it. And I also am in a couple of other secret groups with former members of the process and the foundation, and some of them mentioned it as well. Um, so I heard about this book, and I'm like, well, I mean, I just got a raise. I can probably afford 15 bucks for a book. So I bought the book, and then I didn't read it. It's just like all of us have. We have a bedside table full of books probably. I swear, I get one book done and I add two more. So I finally eventually read that book and my mind was blown. But interestingly, on a psychological and mental health level, to that point, I had been leaving the cult. So when I got out at age 17, for me, the door, I closed it. I didn't care about it. And I was moving on as fast as I could. And if you've listened to any other episodes, you know that I was moving fast. I landed here in Kanab. Uh, I made friends right away. I started playing a ton of D&D. I finished high school uh, at, uh, at Kanab High School. Uh, soon after that, I joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Soon after that, I was on a mission in Brazil. And then I was at the MTC teaching and meeting this amazing woman in my second day of school at BYU. Uh, so I was in a hurry to go and do all these cool things because life was awesome. Also, the girl I met is fantastic. And we're still married. And she's the best person ever. So, um... I wasn't interested in processing all that because it didn't, I, didn't, I didn't care. It was over. It was done. But about age 35, I read this book and I'm like, what now? It came from what now? Holy frick. Um, and at that, by that time, I'd been realizing I had a couple of odd quirks that weren't that odd, but they were a little odd that I was like, why are those here in my brain? So I um, was curious about them, but I didn't care a whole lot. Uh, But that actually started uh, me down a road of understanding a lot more about myself, which has been really, really helpful um, and hard. So I also learned how to to podcast. Now I do classes on how to do podcasting. Um, What you see here, y'all, folks, is the simple equipment. I have a free software online that I use for to to record. It's called Audacity. I have a $100 setup in front of you. It's a, it's a microphone arm. It's a Marantz professional microphone. This model isn't around anymore, but Marantz, M-A-R-A-N-T-Z. It's a professional microphone. And then there's a pop guard. Pop guards are totally unnecessary if you're drinking enough water throughout. So I'm going to drink a little more water. Don't drink anything but water when you're recording. Literally anything but water will make your mouth pop. Okay. <clears throat> so I learned how to podcast, and that also improved my audiobook recording. I have a display of my eight novels that are out so far. Um, uh, five of them are, are on audiobook. Four of those I've done myself, and I'm getting better. I worked through a lot of stuff through this podcast. Yeah, a couple episodes get super fiery. Today's going to be one of those. Uh, the oral storytelling actually, in a wonderful miracle, sparked some memories that I had completely forgotten about. Neat details about my life that I had just forgotten, not blocked or anything. I trust my brain to block the stuff it needs to block. Brains are super good at that. 
until we're ready to start processing, our brains can block stuff and I'll start processing stuff, which I'll talk about later too. <clears throat> See, this is the, the, the tradition of this podcast is I mention a thing and I say, yeah, I'll talk about that later. Do I? <laughs> Almost every time. Not always. Okay. I calculated throughout the podcast as I was talking about affection and, and how the cult and the way I was raised uh, sucked. I calculated that I got about 30 hugs in my life until I was 17, which isn't bad necessarily, but it super isn't great. Um, we'll talk about that later too. <laughs> I made lots of friends through this podcast, which has been very, very cool. I've had people reach out and we've been able to become good friends. Uh, one of those friends actually asked me to go down to Arizona and speak to a big youth group um, about two months ago. That was fantastic. So much fun. I started understanding myself better through this kind of talking things out. The podcast, couldn't keep it from my dad. He's still around. He lives in Salt Lake. He knows all about this podcast. Has he listened to any episodes? I do not believe he has. But it sparked some good conversations with my father. It also sparked some good conversations with my sister who has listened to some episodes. And through listening to those episodes, she started sharing with me some of her experiences. Now, she got out of this thing when she was three or four. Actually make that five to six. And of course, as you know, dear listeners, um, we've recorded episodes with my sister too. So back to the regularly scheduled episode here. How did she do that? With our dad, who's the same dad. We have the same dad. And her mom, who, she, who my dad was still married to, they left. Because the cult was trying to take her from them and send her to where all the other kids were. Um, and they said, uh, no, screw that, we're out of here. And so they left. They moved into Kanab, which is why I was able to land in Kanab when I left less than a year later. Um, so why did you go with your dad? I didn't live with him and hadn't. And I only found out who he, he was my dad eight years before. Okay. So um, good times, good times. <clears throat> So I've had good conversations with my dad. I actually have a good relationship with him. Before all this, I had a good relationship with him, but now it's better. And my sister too. With the endorsements that come from this wildly successful podcast, I paid a whole phone bill. All right, that was good too. Uh, I learned I hadn't forgiven as much as I had thought I had. More on that later. I'm still working on forgiving. And I finally truly, truly crystallized for myself the power of stories throughout my whole life which has been powerful. So those are things I gained, learned, or learned directly from this podcast. Now some fun things. Podcast has been going for three and a half years. Here are some fun things that have happened in the life of your insider, Jared Garrett, during these three years. <clears throat> Here we go. Two kids have graduated from high school. One served in his birth country of Japan, a mission, and has been back for two months. He was born in Japan because my wife and I lived in Japan for two years because we're awesome. Also, we used to teach English. Our next son is now, uh, on Tuesday, he reports to the uh, New York Syracuse mission to speak Spanish as a missionary as well. Uh, in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, local pastors are called bishops. I've been called as a bishop. It's been two years now, and it's been great and amazing. Uh, there is a third, or there's an external power in this universe, and it is called God in my, in my life, and he's real, Period. I've written and published three books during this period of time. I fired my original publisher and self-published the rest of my books. And now I have a total of eight books out with 13 more on the burners. My wife, Anne Marie, went to law school and I put her through it. And so did the law school because she's brilliant and they paid her. Um, and now she's been working as a full-time attorney for one year and a bit, one and a half years about. I left full-time work just over a year ago as well. 
And now I'm a stay-at-home dad. So my wife and I have traded off. She spent 17 years basically being a stay-at-home mom, being amazing, homeschooling in many ways, uh, just giving our kids a rich, rich, rich life. And she is a champion for it. And I love her um, dearly. I've sold around 1,500 books. So that means I paid a whole mortgage payment with my book sales. Woo! Yeah. In the last year and a half, I've lost 45 pounds. I had three surgeries. I rebuilt my left shoulder. I planted a garden three times and learned about the sun on my property, and it's been hard. I helped our adopted daughter figure out how to bring her grades from a C average to straight A's, which is one of the most important ones here. I was cast on a national game show, which filmed in May, and it was called The Hustler, and it is hosted by Craig Ferguson. It's season two, episode six, and you should go watch it. Please understand that if you go watch this, it's on Hulu, you will know right away. Uh, at least part of the whole show. Real quick like. Uh, and during this three years, I have hugged my children several thousand times. All right. So that's full circle. See what I did there? Yeah, the hugs are important. Uh, here are some firm things that I'm going to say right here that are unequivocal. Because what I'm saying is true. People have tried to argue with me about this. They're wrong. And I'm right. The process, nor the foundation, nor best friends. They are not and have never been Satan worshipers. Ever, 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 ever. However, big however, they invited the notion that they are Satan worshipers by doing things for effect, wearing big heavy cloaks lined with red, wearing huge metal medallions that are sometimes goats and sometimes iron crosses, having the long hair and the rituals with incense. And in their doctrine written by Robert de Grimston, the founder of the cult, uh, saying that Lucifer and Jesus and a couple of other beings were all four aspects of a deity and also four aspects of humanity. And so they kind of worshiped, kind of emulated these different aspects. But they weren't worshiping Satan the way we would understand that. When we say worshiping Satan, we're probably thinking worshiping an evil influence in the world full of fire and brimstone and all that crap. They didn't do that. They worshiped this thing that they called Satan, which is not what the Christian tradition is for Satan. But I will say that they invited that comparison. And they can complain all they want, but they invited it. But they didn't. Um, it was a cult. It was not a boarding school. Let me say that one more time. It was a cult and not a boarding school. <clears throat> you people know who you are. It's the kids I grew up with, some of them were like, no, it was a boarding school. The frick it was. Okay. The thing is, uh, we all had very different experiences growing up, right? I had a very different experience from all the other kids growing up. While we were still growing up in the same cult, some of those kids were growing up adjacent to or even in the same place as their biological parents. And wonder of wonders, they knew who both their mother and their father were. And their mother and father were important enough in the cult that they could be with their kid and then they could build a bit of a relationship there. I can, I know, I know several of those guys. I was not one of those. My mother was a longtime, lifelong adherent to this thing and she became the handmaiden of Marianne, the murky, mysterious lady who was up there. Uh, but she was a humble follower, albeit long-term, and she should have had a lot more authority, but she didn't. Who cares? My dad was always a little bit one and a half feet in, half a foot out, sometimes one foot out, sometimes one and a half feet out. I don't know. So I didn't have that experience. My experience was different. This was a cult. It was a cult. It was a cult. Also, finally, everything from my childhood 
everything from how we were treated as children, especially me and many others like me, is a perfect example of exactly how not to raise kids. And that has been a fantastic source for me. There have been a few times in our lives with my, with my wife and I raising our kids, six biological, one adopted, where I'm like, but yeah, but when I was a kid, and Anne Marie just looks at me, honey, remember what you just said. What? When you were a kid. Right, right, the whole cult. Right, 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 gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so now, just recently, I've been a little exasperated at how messy my kids leave their rooms. Please understand the context. The context for me was that if our rooms were even a little smidgen of messy, we were berated at length by the crazy, mm, that's a mean thing to say. The accurate thing to say is unwell, but also choosing to be a megalomaniac leader of the Dallas branch, which is where all the kids let, uh, ended up. Um, we were berated at length if our room was even a little messy, socks up, poking out of a drawer, a towel not properly hung up, um, bed not made. So that was my context. But that turns out I also like tidiness. So I like tidiness. So my kids leave a big, leave their rooms in a big mess. And so I finally went to my wife the other day and I said, you know, honey, help me understand something because I think my context might not be generous enough here. Do kids leave their rooms a mess? Is that just normal? And she said, yes, Jared. Oh my gosh, yes. Like, oh, okay, 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 okay. So I don't want to have unreasonable expectations of my kids. And so she helped me kind of temper that a little bit. Um, because yeah, I'm in my four and a half year of being the main caregiver and I still, there's still stuff, there are gaps. It's pretty funny. So um, those are some firm things uh, that aren't worth arguing about. One more time, not Satan worshippers, although they invited that. It was a cult, not a boarding school. Everything from my childhood is a perfectly opposite example of how to raise kids well. And lastly, a myth that will not go away because that's eh, life. There's a lot of people who think back in the day and even today that the Process Church is associated with Charles Manson. If you're familiar with the Process Church, you may have heard that. That's not true, except it is true. Charles Manson wasn't a member of the Process, not one little bit. He was a bad, bad dude and he had his own little cult. It was terrible, right? And they did terrible murders and they're pure evil. They made choices to be purely evil. When Charles Manson, so yes, they were not associated with Charles Manson and he wasn't a member of the Process. But after he was in prison, they reached out. And they said, hey, will you write an article for our magazine? So complain all you want. Oh, he's not a member of our cult. You asked him to write for your magazine. What do you expect? So there you go. Um, those are unequivocal facts and stuff. So I have a, a final message I wanted to share, but I want to see if there's any questions from our audience here about literally anything. If you haven't listened to any of the podcast at all, there's all these episodes. You're welcome to ask questions here and I can answer them here. Go ahead and I'll repeat your, your question. Go ahead. In the green shirt. Thank you. Thank you. So do you um, have any familiarity with the seed that was in Florida? Uh, speaking of boarding schools of that nature, uh, somewhere in the 70s. The seed? The seed. It sounds so familiar to me. Um, uh, I knew some people who knew some people who sent their kids there and i'm not sure if they ever saw them again i hope they did but it sounded a lot like the oh wow so our friend here is asking if there was any association with this thing called the seed in florida where some people even sent their kids and you're not sure if they ever heard from their kids again i i, I maybe i shouldn't even say that but it, it was, you can uh, say truth it was nefarious so. nefarious is the right word 
no association there, but there should be no surprise when cults and cult organizations that are things that look like cults look really similar because they have a really common set of attributes that make them cults. In fact, I'm going to do a presentation after this, this session's over in the next breakout called How to Start a Cult. It's a tongue-in-cheek class on how you can start a cult. I'm going to tell a little bit of the story of growing up, and I'm going to talk about attributes and features of cults and what it takes to be to begin start a cult if you want to, uh, or in other words, start Twitter. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> sorry, Jack Dorsey. I'm not sorry, but Twitter's a bit of a cult too, or at least it promotes them. Um, and so I will actually talk about how, how, why so many of those things look like cults because they are. And I'm sorry that happened. That's terrible. No association that I'm aware of. Interesting writing, writing Grisbury or Mill as far as writing. Tons. Tons of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, then, and then the other side of it, totally different. Well, how do you stay safe? How do I stay safe? How do you, what do you mean? Because cultism seems to me to be a dangerous circumstance. So do you mean like from ongoing adherence in the cult? No, I'm just wondering. Um, I appreciate that you speak out. Sure. Do you I have to look over your shoulder. You mean safe from repercussions? Yes. Oh, because um, everything I say is true? Maybe that was no, yeah, I appreciate that. How do I stay safe is the question. Um, emotionally safe, I'm getting more emotionally safe daily because my wife is the best supporter ever and for the first time I'm in therapy. And you have God. And I have God, who is real, period. I mean, you, we're, I'm not going to argue the existence of God, but if you want to sometime, come on over and I won't argue with you, but I'll give you some cookies and a hug. Um, <laughs> otherwise, I speak the only things that are true. I'm careful and to make sure things that are actually true. I try not to make judgment calls outside of my personal experience where it's where it's valid. I'll be right with you. Sorry, Tony. Um, but the process that I grew up in was no longer the process. It was the foundation faith of God as I was growing up. All I ever called it was the foundation faith of God. And it 100% turned into Best Friends Animal Society. And they dropped our religion back in 95. So they don't see themselves as a cult anymore and haven't for a, for a long, long time. So nobody there has anything against me as far as I'm aware. If they do, they don't come and talk to me about it. And I think that'd be bad press for them if they did because I truly do not care. I'm a 47-year-old grown man. I've got a bunch of kids. What can you do to me? I got no money. Come on now. Um, other, so there are members of the process as it still exists, but it's sort of a loose organization of process adherence. And I have never heard from any of them at all. I've heard from people who are familiar with it who are like, you better be careful. And I'm like, I don't care. Furthermore, I know how to use all these swords behind me and also how to use guns. And I don't ever want to be aggressive and I do not like violence. I eschew it at every opportunity. And no man, no woman, no human being is my adversary. There's one adversary and it is the, the bad one, Satan. Everybody else is just, we're just not seeing eye to eye yet. We'll get there. Thank you very much. Total optimism. Tony, uh, did you have something similar before we jump over to... Uh, just one, one general question that you might answer in the next um, Am I picking me up? Yeah, a little bit. Go ahead. Um, you also have a wife who's a lawyer. So I do now. Yes. Oh, yeah. So, um, but what do you think makes a cult? Why do they... And, and this probably will be answered in the next paragraph. Sure. I can answer it here, though. Why do they... Why... Do they get created? Because they keep seeming to get created new all the time. What is it about people or society where these things seem to keep coming up? And why do people, you know, what's the, what feeds them? What keeps them going? Why do people go along with them? What, what sure. is it about it? 
question here is what makes cults happen essentially? What makes people want to be in cults? What what feeds the the, the ongoing um, speaking, why am I thinking of this word in English or Portuguese? What the frick? Why do cults sprout up and grow all the time, right? What what feed, feeds that? There's a big there's that's a big old question and lots of complex answer. I think what's that? Proliferate. They do proliferate and I think that it's a combination and there's going to be a lot more nuance that we're not going to get into. It's a, pro, it's a combination of the need for comfort, the need to still stand out at the same time that we're feeling comfort, but we still want to stand out and we still want notoriety. And we also, we humans, there's a deep thing in us that we're, there's stronger in others and weaker in others. And it's not a bad thing or a good thing when it's strong or weak, but we kind of feel like we need something to fight against. We kind of feel like we need something to fight against, a cause, a reason to, to fight for or fight against something. And cults are a really good opportunity for that. Sports teams are one very mostly harmless version of that. Uh, political parties are not a harmless version of that. Does that sort of answer that? No, so Don't the story in our head that we tell ourselves, is, our reality is based on the story that we tell ourselves what the world is and how we fit into it. 100%. We need an antagonist. We do. We do. I think that that's accurate, Tony. I think that it is accurate that we want an antagonist. We kind of have a need for something like that in our lives. So it's helpful that there is one called Satan, but we also can we also can do things uh, mentally, emotionally, as we mature in life, as we can see ourselves more and more honestly to set up the right antagonist in our lives. And sometimes that antagonist is just a version of us that we don't like or an aspect of us that we are tired of and would like to get rid of. So the, my antagonist currently is some stuff that I'll talk about in just a quick second in my final, um, in my final statement. But one of the antagonists that I have to deal with is my poor reactions when my adopted child does not handle something right. And she can't handle it right as well as she ought to because of the, the trauma she went through as a child. And she's not handling that trauma the way I handed, handled mine. I'm like, come on, just do it the way I did it. So my antagonist is that. Handle that better. See her as a person. See her as, a, as everything she's gone through and see her best intentions and adjust my behavior based on that. And that's hard, but it's the very best work I can do. So please go ahead and ask your question. Lay them on me. Here, talk, talk super loud. Okay, you need an antagonist to make your story interesting, something to fight against. What is someone in a cult fighting against? They're fighting against the status quo. Normalcy. Normalcy. The expectations and pressures of a normal life. Cults just proliferated like, I'm loving your word, by the way like mad in the 60s. And it was because everything had to go against the status quo. Everything was too normal. Fight the power, stick it to the man and all that. I have a lot of stick it to the man in me, but the man in this case was the people trying to stick it to the man. Okay, another question. You said that you can speak what you, the things you say because they're true. Do they have to be documented or witnessed by somebody else to prove that they are true? Or can you just say, Good question. There? So the, the question is, I can say these things because they're true. The question is then, do, I, do they have to be documented or witnessed by others to prove that they're true? Or can it be, I'm saying this because I saw it and it's true and I experienced it. I can say it because it's true. 
uh, I, I don't need to have documentation or witnesses. I know that it's true. Um, truth is the best defense against any kind of lawsuit against like slander or libel. It helps that there are many other kids who went through this and it helps that there's plenty of documentation for the crap that was there um, and that it's super consistent. Um, but I don't, I don't need that. I'm telling the story and it's real. I, I think I got the gist of why you didn't know your dad at the first part of your life that sounded like you were sent away to a boarding not a boarding school situation where all the kids in the cult were uh, consigned and grouped together so they could be um, better handled. Sort of like what Hitler did. Sort of like what Hitler did. <laughs> hey, fun tidbit. So the lady who was the leader of the Dallas branch of the cult. So let me do a quick recap of some cult timeline stuff. So it, it started in the 60s, left England after, you know, stuff. When went to Mexico and Canada for a little while, some weird things happened in Mexico. Weird things happen with everybody. It's good. Uh, and then they wound up in the States. They moved around the States. They picked up uh, members in California, all the way to the East Coast. They wound up eventually having branches in Nevada, Nevada, whatever you want to say. I like Nevada because I was raised by British people. Um, Colorado, uh, not Addo. Uh, Utah, no, Utah's where their best their, their their headquarters was after their first headquarters in Arizona, uh, uh, San Antonio and Dallas. By the time I was nine, um, Dallas was established as where the kids would all live. All the kids of all the cult members were to live there, and so they were sent from the many branches that they were in. But until that time, until they're around the age of nine or ten, for me, I had lived in New York, Virginia. Uh, so New York City, also upstate New York, Virginia. Um, Washington, D.C. for a hot second, New Jersey for another shorter hot second, uh, Pennsylvania for a good long time, and that's where one of my books takes place, um, Beyond the Cabin, which is a novelization of my own childhood. Um, as I moved around a ton, and by the time I was sent to Dallas, where all the other kids were, I, um, I was, let's see, I was in my first month of fifth grade, and what they had done in Dallas is they had created a new, their own little insular uh, school that they called faith school. And it was like being homeschooled uh, because I was going to school with the same people every day um, that I lived with. Um, but it wasn't very good. Uh, although some of them really wanted to try to educate and some of them didn't care. Uh, actually, for the most part, probably they did care. A couple of them probably didn't. But mostly they did. They did it. They, they tried to do their best, even though it wasn't always great. My algebra teacher was a good, good dude overall. Although there's some character question when you just stay in a cult, even though it's bad. Um, and he tried to teach me algebra and failed utterly. And that's, <clears throat> I blame him for my algebra struggles, um, which are ongoing even today. Um, when I was nine and living in Colorado, um, I realized I looked like this dude. I'd been told my whole life that my mom's um, other husband, John, who talked to his nose machine with big old eyebrows like this, you're saying, was my father because they were married. But that dude definitely wasn't my father because I didn't look like him. I looked like this other guy, Enoch. Um, so I went at him. I went to him and I said, "Hey, are, are you my actual father?" And he had to get permission from the leaders to tell me that he was my actual father. So I knew who my real father was by that time. And I realized much, much later that oh, he'd actually tried to be in the same branch as me as often as he could, which is kind of cool, right? Um, but it was rare. So I'm curious because you said your father left because they were trying to take your little sister away. Yes. That you went away. Yes. Was he in a different place? In yes. Belief? Okay. He, he had changed. He'd come a long way. He'd, he'd, he'd grown up a lot. 
Uh, I was born when he was um, 24 or 25. My sister was born when he was in his mid-30s. Uh, and he'd been around and seen things. And he'd had regrets from the way I'd been dealt with and, and, and hosed in many ways. Uh, and so he wasn't going to let it happen again, which is great. It's great. Sure, there's some of, from me, well, what about me, man? But what's done is done, water under the bridge, and we have a, an okay relationship today. You personally have older and younger children, so you know parenting styles change. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. Children. My 21-year-old, when he was 11, like, or almost 11, like our youngest is, uh, we were very different parents than the way we are today. So it's not a problem. I mean... I wouldn't have minded having an actual relationship. In fact, I would have I craved a real relationship with real parents. Uh, it was weird having real live biological parents be alive and in the same freaking organization and sometimes even in the same place and wondering why they weren't treating me like their son. Like I read in the books. Like I read in the books and sometimes saw on TV or in movies. But I read a large amount of books. So when I was... From the age of 12 to the age of 16, I read every single, well, every single fantasy novel, every single science fiction novel, every single romance novel, uh, and every comic, and even a lot of espionage novels and horror novels in the Oak Lawn branch of the Dallas Public Library. So you were able to go out? I was, because not only was there hyper-control whenever they could see us and be around us, there was also an astonishing amount of neglect. The neglect was the best part, (laughs) except for that it had, it also gave us, you know, this whole idea that nobody nobody cared about us, right? But at least we could go do whatever the freak we wanted. And boy, we did whatever the freak we wanted, guys. It was fantastic and not, but mostly great. Um, yeah, library twice a week. I read every single of those one of those books in, in that library, Some in some cases twice. And because of that exposure to books, um, I had this idea of what the world should be like. It was fictional. But guess what, y'all? It's working out for me so far. So it's pretty good. Um, so I don't know if that addressed any questions or comments you had there, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So I just 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 to, so you can have an, a, fill in a detail or two. My mom stayed in the cult and then best friends uh, until she passed. And she passed um, in ninety nine. In ninety nine, she passed in ninety nine, which is a sad story. Um, she died two weeks after my wife and I landed in Japan. Um, she'd been struggling with cancer for a long, long time. Uh, she, she'd been diagnosed with cancer while I was on my mission in Brazil. Um, and, um, it went into remission for a little while and then it came back and then, and then she died. Did uh, she like you after you left the organization? Uh, we had a relationship. It was not a, like what I see with my, my wife and our children, that mother child relationship of closeness, stability, affection, intimacy, love, total trust, unconditional love, nothing resembling that but she was my mother I was her son and that made it meant there was a relationship there um, <clears throat> did she like me I don't know if she ever liked me um, we read the same book sometimes we both liked Stephen King uh, and we went to lunch once every summer when we were shipped out here uh, to, to best friends to help build it um, and we talked every Christmas and every birthday and she would send a card and sometimes money which was great um, but she, 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 I don't think she really understood what mom meant, what mother meant. I only called her Magdalene. Was her, more an obligation? Maybe. On her part? There was probably some affection there, but we just, how do, you, how do you have affection for someone you barely know, right? That you spend so little time with. 
there's there's a there's an obligation for love and there's probably a tinge of affection or as you read in like some scriptures a, a seed of affection that could have definitely been been um, nurtured but wasn't um, that said I was given the opportunity to get out uh, when I was about 17 um, right before my senior year I'm not going to tell the whole story here about how I got out I'll tell it in the next session um, because my listeners have already heard all that <laughs> um, there are several episodes of it but when I was given the opportunity to get out after also doing my own efforts to get out. Um, the cult had collapsed and all the faithful few had wound up here at Best Friends and it was actually on its way to actually stopping being a cult at that point too, really quickly. Uh, and I was given the opportunity to either either stay with them on Best Friends property, come down to school, but live up there with all the other kids of the members who wanted to stick around, or move into Kanab with my dad, who was named Enoch, who went started going back by his original name, Bruce, pretty quickly with his wife, Susan, and their daughter, Emma, in their home here in Kanab. And it was a no-brainer for me because one month before that, I'd been planning on packing my duffel and going and hitchhiking across the country to just go to Oregon or freaking Chicago or something or Smallville, Illinois, because I loved Superman, something different. So I was like, there's no flipping way on this beautiful planet that I would ever stay in this cult. And she may have been hurt by the fact that I had no desire whatsoever to leave um, or to stay. And then, but I did do my best because I wanted to try to have something normal-ish in the life and have an actual mother. I went up almost every Sunday here to Best Friends, back when they were best friends, but also still culty. Um, and they were doing a Sunday celebration every Sunday. It was quite an, a combination of ritualistic uh, traditions, actually. It was super fun super cool, mildly creepy, um, but really fun. Uh, <laughs> one of the founders who's up there today, who's had a long, healthy life, very impressive guy, but he had a health challenge recently. He um, he would sing a song that went like this. The mark of the beast is upon mankind. And then the rest of the congregation would yell or would sing, Babylon the Great is falling. Uh, so that was fun. Um, anyway, after one of those uh, celebrations, as they called it, uh, we were on Angel's Landing and there was wine being consumed. And yeah, I was only uh, 17, nearly 18. I'd been drinking alcohol for a long time by that time. I mean, there was a lot of casual beverage, alcoholic beverage drinking uh, by the kids in, in that group. They did not care. Um, I had my little wine. She had her, her red wine. She always loved the red wine. And she comes up to me at, uh, on the edge of Angel's Landing and says, Jared, now I want your honest... Uh, re response on this one, please. Some I've been hearing from some of the kids who've been out from, you know, Cyrus and Ann and stuff and other folks that uh, some of those, some of you kids are kind of upset about the way you were raised and kind of angry about it and even resented a little bit. And this is my very mild mother, Magdalene. She was a hippie to the day she died. She says, so, so what are you, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, how do you feel about it all? And I looked at her and I said, Magdalene, do you really want to know how I felt about this and how I feel about it today? And she said, yes, just tell me how you feel about it. And I said, okay. It was terrible. It was terrible. I hated it. And I'm probably going to hate it for the rest of my life. Along those lines. And she looked me in the eye just astonished as if she didn't expect that. How could she not? But she was so in her own world that she just had no clue, I guess. And she said, well, F you, and stalked away. But she didn't say what I just said. She said the actual word. 
pause for you all to say it in your head. Okay. Um, and that was, uh, I didn't come back for a couple of weeks. I needed to let her cool down. And then I ticked them off at graduation because I graduated number two in Kanab High School's class of 92. I don't, who even knows, man? Um, and I was asked to speak, which was a mistake. Um, and I made a terrible, stupid, bad joke. It wasn't a terrible joke. It was just a dumb joke about how I was born in the cult and I was born in Chicago and I moved to New York by the time I was one. And I said, you know, come to think of it, I don't remember that. They may be lying to me. But there were members of the best friends folks down there. Original founders were down there and that ticked them off. Super bad. Well, in that case, no, they just, it just filtered down to me that one, one, of, the, one of the kids said, hey, uh, they're really mad at you for, for that joke. And I'm like, for what joke? What, what are you talking about? Because I'd forgotten it already. It was just a one-off. Um, they said, no, they're really mad at you for that joke. You shouldn't go up there for a while. Turned out I was basically blacklisted for a year. Good times, good times, good times. Good times. Do you have other siblings besides Emma? Yes. Yes. Um, my mother had a son, Daniel. Uh, that wasn't his name when he was first born. Um, she was married before she joined. She, her husband, and Daniel joined when Daniel was about three or four, I think. He was old enough to remember life outside the cult. And then uh, the husband left after a while. Don't know why. She married John, who talks like this through his nose, you're saying? He's passed not too long ago. She married him and had another boy, my older brother, Matthias, uh, who is happily married with one kid in Hawaii. He's a great, great guy. He's trying to solve climate issues. Um, and then they had me. Um, but I, was, I wasn't the son of John, right? I was the son of Boston guy. Um, so yes, I had other siblings. Daniel passed away when I was 13, um, badly. And that's a big part of one of the books I wrote. Um, one of the things actually that I'm doing therapy for. So uh, we're really short on time, but I guess we have uh, five minutes, yeah. Um, I do have another session after this, so we can just go over. But I wanted to see if there are other questions that I can answer here before we close this, this episode of podcast. Do you have a question? See your hand moving. No? Okay. Anything else? Yes, please. So is best friends not Yes, unequivocally, legally, and utterly, Best Friends is no longer a religious organization in any way, shape, or form. They are 100% a 501c, I think it's called, charitable organization, and that happened from 94 to 95. Um, they, officially start, they officially started the process of that in 1994, um, and it was completed legally with like actual law stuff involved in 1995. That's just legally on paper, they don't practice? Not a thing. I'm sure there's a wide variety of uh, spiritual and religious beliefs of founders and everybody else up there, because why not? It's, I mean, life is full of meaning wherever you can find it, right? Um, but yeah, no, no, no cult whatsoever. Do people live up there from the Tons of people do. Yeah, Best Friends is a big, big, huge, awesome organization doing great things for animals. Okay. Yep, they have. They're one of the biggest employers in the Kanab, I think. I think they're the, the biggest employer in Kanab now. There, they've been a huge boon to this area. Huge financially and other things, and also to animals. Um, because of the way I was raised, I um, have a special power with dogs. My kids are like, what the frick, dad? Um, no, for real, we used to live in, in, in one area of Orem, uh, around the corner were these two giant German shepherds who would just bark all the time at whoever came by. And if they got out, they'd chase you down and bite you and stuff. <clears throat> My kids are going by, the dogs are barking. If I'm with the kids, the dogs are not barking. And the kids are like, Dad, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know. What? What's your question? What do you mean? They bark all the time. Not when I'm around. Uh, and just recently, actually, I took our cat 
uh, my daughter's cat to the vet. My daughter is comforting the cat and this lady comes in with a very agitated dog, very agitated, young and a little excitable and agitated for other reasons, I'm sure, who just is all over the place. And I, I get the dog's attention and I say, hey, come here. And I get her to, to, to sit down and at my feet and give her love and she's looking right at me and the lady's like, are you a dog trainer? Nope. Never want to be. Are you sure? I am sure. Don't want to be. How'd you do that? I don't know. Um, but I mean, I've been bitten more, more than most people in this world. Uh, I, although I'm sure there are tons of people, best friends now who got me beat by, by a margin. I've been bitten. I've been attacked. I've been growled at. I've been whatever. Uh, and then after a little while, it stopped because I figured out how to be the alpha or something. I don't know exactly what happened. Um, but I still don't like cats. <laughs> and I love dogs, but I don't want one. Uh, I'm done with pets. So done with pets. I have seven children. And we have 11 chickens. I think we're okay. 11 chickens. Freeloading. Frickin' birds, man. Winter shows up. They start to molt. Oh, we don't want to lay anymore. Pay your rent. Anyway. Uh, so if there, if there are no more questions, I have a couple of last things I want to just read here. Is that all right? Okay. So first off, dear friends and listeners, thanks for coming on the journey. Thank you for being here for this last step. If you've been here a long time, listener, thank you. I want to share some thoughts that I think will summarize the podcast. First, a couple of plugs. I have written and published eight books. I have written five other books that aren't out yet, but that's fine. We'll get there. I have many of them and they're available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, not on any bookshelves because that costs so much money that it is nowhere near worth the vanity of having books on shelves for me. Um, many of them are on audiobook. Just Google Jared Garrett and you will find them. And if you Google Jared Garrett, The Hustler. You'll see some fun pictures of me on a set with Craig Ferguson. Um, I also have a, another podcast called Win the Moment, which is on a long hiatus right now because I can't figure out why people won't listen to it. It's deep, deep, deep psychology about how we change the inner conversations. It partly might be on, it, uh, on hiatus because I'm doing some of that myself. And I have another podcast, which I'm recording episodes for now. It's utterly, ridiculously different. It is entire geek, entirely about fiction in every medium, in every media ever, ever made. Uh, it's called The Lance, and I'm just going to geek out with anybody who I can get to talk with me about anything. I've recorded an, an episode on anime with my adopted daughter because she loves this stuff. Why? Why? But she loves it. It's all good. Uh, and I'll have a lot of episodes that I kick off with. That starts, that'll go live in January unless weird things happen. We'll see. Also, you can get me for speaking engagements remote and in person. Now for a final message. I am going to read this because I had to write it and revise it over a while. So here we go. Tim Wiley, a key founder of The Process, at the end of the documentary, which I talked about earlier, throws out this comment. When I got out of The Process was so... What I, what I got out of The Process was so much richer than if I had settled down and married and had children, blah, 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 blah. So I have no regrets whatsoever, but thank God it was over. That's right, he said, but thank God it was over. Um, so I don't want to be mocking him, but I'm mocking him a little bit. That was close to his accent. The contempt for family in that statement is stunning. My goodness. And the mental gymnastics being done here are hysterical, but clearly second nature to him and the people who started it all, and in some cases are still at it. There's no question that many found value in the process and the foundation and later best friends, that in some ways actual good was done. In fact, I know that actual good was done. I know many of the former members of the process, and they say, this saved my life. And I am delighted by that. It makes me very happy that they're here still. It's important for us to find meaning and to find group and to find 
um, people that we feel comfortable with. That's great. There are two key problems in the statement that he made, and this is to anybody in a cult or this cult particularly. This is my voice and the story that this podcast is telling. First, acting like kids weren't born and raised in this unstable and unhealthy environment, and in many cases never received any kind of affection, is dishonest. So you can find meaning and value there, but that meaning and value are 100% diminished when you act like a huge part of the cult didn't even exist. We kids were born and we grew up in it. We helped build version one of best friends. Yet not only did you raise us and force us to do that, now you act like we never existed. Your official history is a lie. Google it. While the narrative craft is crafted to be technically and legally true, it's dishonest because we are deliberately omitted. Have you ever wondered what it feels like to not only have been raised in such an unstable, abusive, and ultimately damaging group, but then to have those abusers erase us? No, all y'all cultists, you have never wondered that. Of course you haven't. But the people in Whoville said it well. We are here. We are here. We are here. And a person's a person. Anyway. <clears throat> and we have value. And we deserved better. We deserved better. And a little personal, super personal. I deserved better. Then PTSD, trust issues, anger issues. Astonishingly terrifying and blessedly rare sleep anxiety. A lifelong obsessive tendency that's taken a lifetime to rein in, and a reactive and reactive attachment disorder. And despite your, and when I say your, I mean the cult, best efforts from your abusive, neglectful, unstable ashes, has risen a son of God, who knows his value, knows his God, and loves life in all of its beauty. The fire you added to the refining fire of my life has made me stronger. I'm grateful for the grace that has helped me with that strength. I've, made, I've been made strong enough to tell these stories. The second point about the dismissal of and contempt for family is this. Acting like the cult and all its endeavors were objectively better or richer or more meaningful or fulfilling or whatever else than marrying, having kids, and building a family is historically hysterical. Humanity is at its best in family. Human, humanity is at its most charitable, most successful, healthiest, and most productive, and responsible, and happier, and fulfilled in families than in any other, any other situation. Mother and father, daughter and son, siblings, families of all kinds, all united in love, are what have brought humanity to its apex. Parents having kids, then those kids having kids, and so on in the building of wide, cross-generational and robust family networks. That has been the historical pattern for thousands of years, and it's worked. This is not to say that meaning can't be found elsewhere. Plenty of meaning can be found in many different places. There's no question. But saying the cult was better than family is wrong. The contempt for family that founders repeatedly expressed in word and action, that's bizarre, empty, and pitiable. It comes from a place desperately and failingly scrabbling for meaning and convinced that meaning is found in turning away from the best place to develop love and become our very best selves, in my opinion, our families. Because of the way I was raised, I had two dreams. Two. I'd even articulated them to myself by the time I was around 15 or 16. First, marry my true love and make an awesome family. Second, Become an accomplished and successful author and make a good living at it. I have 100% accomplished the first one. My lifelong dream is a reality. And you poor souls, in the cult, have no clue what you missed out on. My wife is the best. Anne-Marie is my partner, companion, best friend, lover, and so much more. Our kids are phenomenal. Time spent with my family is celestial time. Long, fulfilling moments in heaven. When I consider that so many in this cult chose not to be called mom or dad, and chose to divest themselves of the beauty and perfection of a child's goodnight hug, Every night. I feel befuddlement and pity. What a sad thing. 
So to Tim Wiley, all the other cult founders who are still around and not around. To all the everyone out there who acts like family's obsolete, you're wrong. Find your meaning that you are eventually relieved is over, and I'll find meaning and richness, fulfillment and love, happiness and legacy and family. And it will never end. And I never want it to. Despite all your efforts, cult people, all your meanness and pettiness and cruelty and abuse and lies, I forgive you. And I do that for myself and for the gift of peace it will be to me. My forgiveness is not absolution of any kind for responsibility for what you've done. You and God in heaven can talk about that. Until that time comes, you go ahead and keep returning to your fast emptying wells that never satisfy. I will return to the well that will never run dry and which gives the sweetest, most satisfying water in creation. If you wish to try this water, come and taste it for yourself. It's available to all. Just come and see. So thanks for tuning in. Until we meet again, may God be with you. May the love of our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Parents, shine in your life, and may the grace of our Savior give you all the strength you need. The Insider is well and truly...